Hello and welcome to Volleyball State, a look at volleyball in six rotations. I'm Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln Arneal. It is our first show of 2024, and if there is a silly season in college volleyball, well, we are now in it. There's been plenty of transfer portal activities since our last show. We'll be looking at who's going to be wearing new uniforms in 2024, most notably with Nebraska's recent addition of Minnesota outside hitter Taylor Landfair, and how college volleyball and their fans are adjusting to the new realities of transfer palooza. Plus, we're just a couple weeks away from the debut of the new Pro Volleyball Federation season, where there's plenty of interest in Nebraska and around the country. But first, you can find us on social media at Volleyball Pod. Thanks so much for interacting with us on Twitter. Also, plenty of you have been emailing us questions, segment ideas at volleyballstate at gmail.com. Thank you so much. You can also find this show and all of our past shows wherever you get your podcasts, plus online at podcasthousemedia.com. And if that is not enough, if you need more volleyball interaction, you can find us individually on social media. I am on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon. And I'm on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB. Uh, you can also find all of my articles at huskersillustrated.com. Probably going to have a transfer roundup here in the next short bit. Uh, as we talk about today, there's always news that's breaking, so we'll get more of that. And uh, also working on a feature about Gina Mancuso. We'll talk about the Omaha Supernovas today. So uh, read about her journey and kind of the impressions that she's making with the Supernovas. So stay tuned for that. We got a packed schedule. We haven't talked for a couple weeks, Jeff. But there's so much that's mm -hmm. happening in the volleyball world. We will start off with a, a kind of a summary of Nebraska's portal activities, the coming, the goings, who's who's mainly leaving Nebraska, and some of those players have found new homes. Rotation two, we will talk about Taylor Landfair, uh, what kind of some pros are bringing her in and what maybe some uh, risks are uh, of bringing in the Minnesota outside hitter. Uh, then we'll take a step back. We'll look at the national transfer picture. Who are some big names that are moving schools? Who are some still people that are out there looking for homes. And then uh, we'll get into a rotation for the big moral debate over transfers and and, and tampering. Uh, Creighton coach Kristen Bernthal Booth had a great thread about that. So we'll dive into that. Jeff has lots of thoughts. So stay tuned for that. Uh, then we'll. Uh, it's just one thought that's really thought. long, I think. It's so very yeah. well thought out, though. But then we'll get into rotation <laughs> five. We'll talk about the Omaha Supernovas, who are starting their inaugural season at the end of January. And rotation six will highlight a Nebraska recruit, Skylar Pierce, who had a great showing at the Under Armour All America game. So with that, let's go straight into rotation one. Uh, the season ends, a little bit of disappointment in uh, Tampa at the end of December, and it didn't take long for transfer news to hit. I think it was the next day, uh, Monday, is when all that dropped. I and mean, we kind of talked a little bit about it uh, during our last wrap-up show, but uh, Nebraska mm -hmm. loses a couple players that will not be returning for next year. That's right. The the most high profile ones. Um, I well, there, there's three of them, and I'd say they're all they're all somewhat high profile. Not all of them are surprises. The, the surprise that we mentioned in our last show, Caroline Juravicious, the um, was a freshman opposite hitter, Merritt Beeson's backup, who redshirted last season. You know, we kind of thought that the most likely landing destination for her uh, on our last show was was going to be Penn State. Her her father played football there. Her family is from out east, and sure enough, that's where Caroline Jurevicius is going to be continuing her career. Um, she's going to be a Nittany Lion playing in the blue and white and uh, playing opposite hitter for them uh, next season. Uh, another one that maybe was a little bit of a surprise to me, Maggie Mendelson, the backup mm -hmm. middle blocker who saw action in quite a few matches and even got some starts this year. 
um, announced that she was going to transfer. And she's the one Husker, at least as of this recording, or now former Husker, that has not announced where they're going to be continuing uh, their careers yet. And also the, the kind of the news about Maggie Mendelson that's notable is uh, she announced that she is going to take a step back from basketball. If you remember, she was both on the women's basketball team and the volleyball team at Nebraska. Looks like she's going to be focusing just on volleyball going forward. Uh, had not played for the women's basketball team at Nebraska this year and, and saw some limited action last year, I believe. So uh, Maggie Mendelson is going to focus on volleyball going forward. And even though Lincoln, it, it, she's not announced the destination, it looks like there might be a front runner for that. Yeah, I think that from what I'm hearing too, I mean, look at who needs middle blockers at kind of the elite level too. I mean, uh, I don't know, from what I've heard that Florida, Kentucky, Minnesota are kind of the leading contenders. I'm looking at Minnesota makes a lot of sense to me, just kind of their roster. They need, they need middle blockers. They are quite desperate for them. They only mm -hmm. have one currently coming back on their roster next year. So she may be, uh, uh, headed north, stay in the Big Ten. We'll see about that. Uh, mm -hmm. Classes start in a couple weeks for Minnesota and a lot of other schools, too. So I think that's kind of the deadline that a lot of the uh, transfer portal entrants look at, too. The thing that, other thing with Maggie that makes her hard to replace, too, as you mentioned, she played for the women's basketball team. Uh, her scholarship counts towards women's basketball, and the, there's a big hierarchy of how you count scholarships towards the limit of 12 in volleyball. Bas women's basketball has 15. So it, it, it's challenging for Nebraska to find a replacement for her because her leaving does not free up a scholarship for Nebraska to find a one-to-one -one replacement. Mm -hmm. So uh, even before she left, I thought, oh, Maggie could kind of back up Merritt Beeson on the opposite. She played there a little bit as a freshman. Uh, so she has some skills, but mm -hmm. now that she's gone, it really kind of puts Nebraska in a little bit of precarious situation with who's going to play backup for Merritt Beeson. Right. Well, and also it, it leaves them with no depth, at least as of right now, in the middle, because you've got really, your yeah. starting middles in Becca Alec and Andy Jackson. Mendelssohn was the third middle, and then Nebraska was supposed to, I believe, have a middle come in um, in this tr in this recruiting class, too, and had Aiden Ames committed for a long time. And then fairly recently, Ames announced that she was switching her commitment right before signing day and was going to go to is now going to go to Texas. And so Nebraska, as it stands right now, as of this recording, does not have any backup middle blockers. Now, I imagine they're going to get one, whether it's sometime very soon in this, um, you know, with someone who's been in the transfer portal recently or reevaluate their options um, at the end of the spring season in, in May and maybe look for a middle there. So Nebraska is going to have more than their two current middle blockers on the roster yeah. um, coming up in, in 2024, but it's just not been finalized yet. The other departure that, you know, I don't think surprised either of us um, as we were looking at potential roster transition in the middle of the season, Hayden Kubik, a backup outside hitter, uh, announced that she was going to transfer. And just yesterday, uh, news came out that she is going to continue her career in Knoxville, Tennessee, and become one of the Lady Vols who lost their two top attackers from last season um, for, to graduation, uh, Morgan Fingal and, and Janasia Moore. And that was a Tennessee team, Lincoln, that that really impressed us, was a point away from beating eventual national champion Texas in the Sweet 16. They've got a good coaching staff, a lot of energy around that program, and it'll be interesting to follow her career as it continues um, down in Tennessee. Yeah, lots of opportunities for their, them as well. I mean, they, they lost their two. Uh, Fingal was an All-American, so she really kind of led them. And they had match point against Texas, so they were really on the cusp of something really special there, too. And I think they lost their, yeah, 
Erica Lovett was their third leading attacker, and she has entered the transfer portal. I don't think she has a new school picked out quite yet, but uh, so lots of opportunities. It's a great opportunity for Hayden Kubik. I mean, Tennessee's really kind of proven that they are um, in that second tier of the SEC. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of opportunities to have her flourish there. So a good landing spot for her. I'm excited to see what she can do. Um, do that. Do do it. Do it for the Lady Vols. So. Uh, we've, that, that's kind of who's going. Um, we, we, we've talked a little bit about when we, we talk about Maggie about potential replacements too. Uh, I think that we both think this that Nebraska needs to have, have a middle um, join their roster too because you have two, which is great. You got your starting lineups, but as you saw last year, I mean, Becca Alec missed a couple matches. Mm-hmm. I mean, the style that Nebraska plays is very physical. It's a long season. It can grind on you, and it, it just takes one misplaced ankle or. Um, just a muscle that is tight and right. doesn't doesn't activate before you need that depth. One injury, one illness, one yeah. disciplinary measure away from from losing one of your starters, and it you know you need depth at every position. And right now, Nebraska doesn't have any in the middle. I guess one option could be they could take one of their outside hitters, which is the position that Nebraska currently has a, a pretty well stocked roster at, and try to train them in the middle. But what I think Lincoln and I both expect to happen. Um, is Nebraska is going to look to the transfer portal to to build some depth in the middle. And the name that that we've heard kind of um, from people we talked to and bouncing around the internet is um, one of the top middles in the transfer portal this year is from uh, San Diego. Layla Blackwell would be a graduate transfer. She's a six foot four inch middle blocker who played on San Diego's final four team, uh, not in 2023, but in 2022. She averaged 1.2 blocks a set. She's one of the better blockers in the country last year and hit 329 on offense. So that's pretty good. Uh, Had a really good junior season in San Diego's final four run in 2022. She was an all West Coast Conference player. She hit 354, averaged 1.5 blocks a set, which was top 10 in the country. And again, this is Layla Blackwell, um, who's a middle out of San Diego, who's entered the transfer portal. We know John Cook has great connections, relationships in Southern California. He's originally from San Diego. And so that could be a name to keep an eye on. Um, as as Nebraska looks to build some depth, maybe through the transfer portal at middle blocker. Yeah, Nebraska is a little bit familiar with her as well, too. I mean, she started her career at Indiana before she transferred to San Diego, too. So Nebraska seen her across the net uh, in the Big Ten. So they can see what she uh, can do at the Big Ten level as well, too. There's a couple of the names we'll talk about when we kind of look at the national perspective. Uh, one other, I don't know if it's a long shot or not, too, is uh Iowa State has a middle blocker, uh, Jordan Hopp, who is Alliance native graduate from Alliance. So she is out of, has a fifth year, too. But it's a hard prep proposition that you're asking these people, too, because you think Andy Jackson, Becca Alec are lined up to be a this is the starting duo for the next two or three years uh, for both yeah. of them. Alex, the like, junior Jackson will be a sophomore. sophomore. So neither like, one of those are. Hey, um, come in. Are, are seniors who will be leaving next year. Yeah. Come in. Maybe back up these two or compete for playing time too so it's a hard proposition to try to sell that that's where um that that's where the loss of eight names really stings nebraska when you lose your other middle blocker on the roster so uh we'll see what nebraska has to do too i don't know if they are going to hit the transfer portal to find the backup from Mary Beeson because one i they may have one open scholarship um but that or you could do a little more cross training there too i mean do you think that nebraska is likely what do you think is the more likely scenario for Nebraska yeah. to kind of find that depth at opposite? Yeah. I mean, if you, I don't know, they always seem to find a way to make the scholarship 
thing work. Um, so, you know, we've seen there are schools who use NIL to their advantage. If you feel like you can make a, a player a really good financial offer that um, says, hey, you're not going to be on scholarship, but we can get you. And I'm just making these numbers up. But like anywhere from 50 to 70 to $100,000, which will cover the cost of your education, plus, uh, you know, a little bit more and make it a net positive for you financially. Maybe they can do that. I think a lot of the speculation around what Texas has been able to do in the transfer portal in the last couple of years kind of also implies that um, they're really being able to use NIL to their advantage. But if you were going to look to back up um, Merritt Beeson on the right from within the roster, I think you could do that. Now, is that ideal? I don't think so. But if you look at who ha Nebraska is going to have, at least as of right now, and, and we'll get to the suppositions here in a little bit, at least as of right now, who are the opposite hitters on Nebraska's roster for next year? You're going to have Taylor Landfair. You're going to have Harper Murray. You've got Allie Batenhorst and Lindsey Krause. All four of those players um, are pretty talented and, and certainly have a lot of starting experience. Um, you could, in theory, uh, approach Lindsey Krause again, who has some experience playing on the right side and saying, can we train you on both the left and the right so that if we needed an emergency backup on the right, you could play there? That's probably one of the more common transitions in college volleyball is moving players around from opposite hitter to to left side attacker. Lots of players throughout the Nebraska program history have done that. Um, I think that would be a real bummer for Lindsey Krause because uh, I think she is more comfortable on the left. That is her best position. And she was really starting to come on last year when um, when she injured her ankle in practice midway through the season and then missed the entire second half of the season. Um, I guess in theory, you could talk to Landfair about that. You could talk to Harper Murray about that. Um, it's just not um, it's just not ideal. And frankly, no. I don't think all of those players that I just listed are going to be on Nebraska's roster in 2024. I think you're going to have at least one more um, transfer out in the spring. Now, the, the portal is closed, right, Lincoln, as far as this kind of session goes, but then it opens There's again o in May. There's always a caveat with that. It is clo closed on January 1st. It opening, opens again on May 1st and May 15th is the other window. However, if a player is a graduate transfer, they can enter at any time. So if you're finishing up your degree and you want to look elsewhere, I don't know what you have to prove, like, you like yes, I'm on track to graduate, or what you have to prove. From what I understand, yeah, I mean, you you talked to Taylor Landfair. We're going to get into Taylor Landfair yeah. specifically in a minute, but she has not earned her degree yet from Minnesota, but she is going to in May. So she's going to stay at Minnesota through the spring semester, not come down to Lincoln in January, and then once she graduates, she's kind of free to. She could have been free yeah. to go wherever she wants. And I think there are some players on Nebraska's roster right now that also are looking at a May graduation date. So in theory, they could announce that they're transferring. They just wouldn't leave until they finish their degree, and that wouldn't be subject to the rules of the transfer portal itself. Yeah, and that's what Ani Evans did, too. I mean, she was a graduate transfer. Um, but they, it, it, it's different, too, I think, too, if it's your second transfer or whatever. But if you if you have to prove that, hey, I'm on track to graduate um, as a graduate transfer, because mm -hmm. there's a difference between a first-time transfer anytime versus right. a graduate transfer that could be you could be a second transfer but it, no one else in nebraska's transfers that came in are on track right to, uh move elsewhere so yeah if you're looking if you're looking at there is a technicality there but it is possible that a person from nebraska still could announce their intentions to leave mm -hmm. well if you're looking at players at nebraska who um 
are, are and I don't, you know, I'm not looking at transcripts right now, but who have been in the program for several years, who could in theory graduate in May. Um, none of these players have transferred before, so they would be first-time transfers, yeah. and they could potentially graduate. That's someone like Lindsey Krause. That's someone like Allie oh. Batenhorst, and I believe that's someone like Kennedy Orr. All, all three of those players may be on track to graduate in May, and I could be yeah. wrong about that, but you know, those are those are three people to keep an eye on. I know Lindsey Krause said she had, in her podcast with Caroline Jervishus, which unfortunately probably is coming to an end. Uh, she did say that she is on track. But wouldn't have to. Wouldn't have to. Hey, you can do it. Do it by Zoom. Keep that. Uh, why are you yelling? Uh, keep that alive. Uh, but she did say that I know. So she's on track, and she actually she arrived late because she didn't arrive after. She went to spring semester of her high school year. She didn't graduate from oh, okay. high school year, and Batenhorst and Orr showed up a semester early. So. If if Lindsay's on track to graduate, the other two may be as well too. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, again, I did, neither of them have said that. But uh, you'd think with, I mean, it would be almost four, three and a half years, and given the summer school that they often take um, yeah. while they're here training in Lincoln, um, you think that'd be possibility. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the other player that that could has the potential, I guess, to cross train on the right side, and and we'll talk about her a little bit more in rotation six is the incoming freshman Skylar Pierce. I don't know if that is something that she would be interested in if they like her on the right. Um, I know I've heard John Cook say in the past before that you can do a lot of experimentation in the spring. You can turn that into your mad scientist lab and just see who's yeah. open to moving around and and who responds best to position changes like that. I, one of the most famous examples that I can think of, you know, where it happened in the season was, um, let's see if I'm doing this right. It's, it would have been the 2015 season where um, Michaela Fecky was originally going to start at opposite hitter and Katie Rolson was on the left and Nebraska played one weekend and realized that maybe their best lineup was was making a switch there. Mm-hmm. And they moved um, Katie Rolson over to the right and Michaela Fecky to the left. And that that unit there won two national championships. Yeah. So. Um, well, these things happen quite a bit. Yeah. And this is also, again, to back up Merritt Beeson. Merritt Beeson played in every single set last year for Nebraska, too. So you hope you don't have to worry about this in matches. Uh, she did. I think there was one spell where she came out for a couple points and Maggie Mendelson came in for her. But Merritt Beeson was on mm-hmm. uh, on the court for more than 99% of the points that Nebraska played this year. So, uh, again, this is break glass in case of emergency you hope you don't have to worry about it but you need to have these plans in place so you're not stuck in a predicament if it happens Mm -hmm. right and i think you know when when caroline juravicious committed to nebraska merit beeson was not part of the equation yet and i think if i can understand from juravicious's perspective of you know i'm going to be you're asking me to back up a really good player for not just one but two years and i think the timeline like the, the clock to play is um, is shorter now than it ever has been. Players will sit for one year. They might sit for two if you can get them on the court. But if like there's not a clear path in their mind to starting after a year and a half, two years, like they're going to bounce because yep. they have more options than ever before. And that's just, you know, coaches are coaches grumble about this, but, you know, they have to now factor this into their communication and their decision making. And probably they're the way they handle rosters as well. For sure. For um, sure. Do we want to jump into yeah. ro- you, anything else you want to add on this? Go ahead. Lee. No, I think but speaking of rosters and how you manage it, too, I feel like Nebraska's, uh, I don't think they got blown up, but it changed dramatically. Rotation two, we will get into the transfer of Taylor Landfair. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. She announced on New Year's Day evening 
right during the fourth quarter of the uh of the was it the Rose Bowl, I was just happily watching mm-hmm. that. Then all of a sudden, hey, notification, Taylor Landfair and announced uh that she is committing to the University of Nebraska. She's been at Minnesota for four years, uh, but still has two years to play because one of those years was a COVID year and the other year uh, she suffered an, an abdominal injury, so she only played nine matches, so she should be eligible for a medical hardship there. Uh, but yeah, she's one of the biggest names in the portal this year, and she will be a Husker this fall, too. No. Yeah, she's probably the second, you know, it, her and Reagan Rutherford, the Kentucky opposite, who's now going to Texas, were probably the two biggest names in the transfer portal. And we actually talked about Taylor Landfair just from an opponent scouting perspective uh, on this show earlier this year. Um, this is this is a really talented player with a pretty high ceiling. Landfair averaged just over three kills of set this past year and hit 222, which is not outstanding for an outside hitter in the Big Ten. Um, but she was still first team all Big yeah. Ten. I think bringing in Taylor Landfair, you are hoping that she's someone who reaches the potential that she did in 2022 when she was voted the Big Ten Player of the Year and led the Big Ten in kills with 4.3 kills a set. So like to make a basketball comp, she would be considered a volume scorer. She's oh, yeah. someone who gets a lot of swings, who takes a lot of out-of-system swings. She's six foot five. She can jump really well. Uh, and she has, as you mentioned, Lincoln, she has two years of eligibility remaining. But this is not <laughs> what I would call yes. a risk-free proposition. Because as we pointed out when we were talking about the Nebraska-Minnesota match a couple of weeks ago, um, Taylor Lanfair has some real, um, I don't know, deficiencies, I guess. She's got a lot of room to grow when it comes to being a back row player. She's not a great, and I don't even know from what I saw this year, I would say she's even a very good uh, passer, digger, defender. Um, she's six foot five, and that means that's a long way to go to the floor to get your platform down there. Um, her lateral mobility did not seem to be all that great when it comes to to covering the backcourt. And so you're this is strictly, you know, it, if you're making this calculus, you are strictly trying to improve Nebraska's offense from from what I understand, because she's not even you know, she's six foot five. Her blocking numbers aren't that big. She averages half of a block a set. Um, and so you're hoping that, hey, this is someone who can give you depth at outside hitter who can get real hot and take over a match offensively. And then with the hopes that you can train her a little bit better to improve in in every other area of the game. Yeah. I mean, you talked about her deficiency. I mean, she gave up 78 aces this year, uh, which is not good. I mean, her, I think her reserve receipt was like 91%, which she was also, she was the number one target for opponent opponents, which if she's back there, you, mm-hmm. you should target her. She yeah, had, why wouldn't she, she be? Yeah. She had 866 uh, receipt to serve, receive uh, passes and you missed 78 of those. So, uh, she, well, also a volume passer as well, too. So I think Nebraska will do a little bit more if she does play back row, which I think is a big question mark at this point uh, to hide her b- behind uh, other people that Nebraska has, whether it's mm-hmm. uh, Rodriguez or Choboy or um, even Olivia Mock is back there, too, as, as the incoming mm-hmm. freshman. So she did have two more than two digs, but I think that that is really kind of um, her area where people try to maybe target her. Um, so, yeah, like you said, it is a little bit of a question mark. Um, but, I mean, if getting three sets of kills and hitting 222 is a down year, I think that's, if that's the floor, yeah. there's a pretty high ceiling. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, she she was, she was has just tremendous ability. She was the number one recruit coming out of high school. Uh, she's shown that she can take over matches uh, and really is that person you have to worry about from attacking front row 
and back row because mm-hmm. she is so tall she can hit from the back row and be very lethal with it so uh it, it's an intriguing possibilities i would not say this was an in nebraska was reaching out to for an area of weakness uh it was i don't know if nebraska saw what texas was able to do with just overwhelm opponents with their firepower and thought they needed to uh, up their game a little mm-hmm. bit as far as uh potency of their attacks so um but that was that, yeah. that's what nebraska did everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Well, we talked about this, you know, all through the back half of the season when Lindsey Krause went down, you know, Ali Batenhorst stepped into that role. And I think from that L2 position, Nebraska got, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but anywhere from like 190 hitting to to just above 200. And and that's just not going to cut it once you get into the final four, or when you get into, um, you know, when you're trying to win a national championship. So I think Nebraska is looking at what they want their ceiling to be from a second outside hitter perspective, along with Harper Murray. And, you know, maybe they know something about further roster transition than we do at this point. But, you know, Lindsey Krause, I think I really want to see her do well here. This is a a local kid who um, has been asked to, I think, or has been put in some situations where she's not been able to play to her full strengths. Of course, the injury um, is has affected that as well. But I mean, you really need you need three good outside hitters um, to for depth, for competition in case somebody you know needs a night off or is having an off night or gets hurt. And so if you're talking about Krause, Landfair, Harper, Murray, and then whatever Skylar Pierce is going to be able to add to that groom, along with Ali Batenhorst, that's five options right there. Wow. And I think that's probably going to get trimmed down to four or three. Um depending on on what decisions those players make in the spring. But I think that's what you're going to look at for for the fall of 2024. Uh, Taylor Lanford did play six rotations at Minnesota. Uh, and what we mean by that, I guess, if you're brand new to this podcast and brand new to volleyball, you're it's, it's like you're asking them to be a two way player right in yeah. football. You're they're asking you to attack for three rotations in the front row, but then also pass, dig, be a defender um in the back row and yeah. you know that's more the international style because there's fewer substitutes allowed everyone kind of has to be a six rotation player but in college you can get away with having a really good offensive player and taking them out after their uh their three rotations in the front are done at least as it stands right now you know i think nebraska has told taylor landfair we will let you try to develop into a six rotation player and we will put all of our coaching efforts into improving those areas of the game but if what is best for the team is you take swings in the front row 
and then you come out for a DS in the back row, then that's what we're going to do. And I think that's kind of the arrangement that everyone eventually agreed on. Yeah, and that, that's what Nebraska did last year, too. I mean, Allie Batenhorst only played the front row. Lindsey Krause only played the front row. And Laney Choboy came in the back row, too. Uh, I mean, when I talked to her, I mean, she said nothing was promised as far as playing time rotation wise. So um, I think she's excited to come in and compete, too. And I think I don't I. With the situation she was in, she committed to Minnesota to work under Hugh McCutcheon and kind of she really connected mm-hmm. with him, his coaching style. And then a year ago, he retires, leaves the program, steps away from coaching, and Keegan Cook came in. Um, so, I mean, it's a different coaching style. I think Keegan has still proven that he's a very good coach from what he did at Washington. Um, so she said that she had a meeting with him a year ago and based on that meeting was encouraged by that. But I don't know. She just seemed disengaged watching from watching her this year, mm-hmm. too. She was not locked in mentally. She would take breaks. So a change of scenery may do her good and kind of get her heat in back to what everyone mm-hmm. saw in that 22 season. So uh, it, there is a lot of upside, too, but it is not a risk free proposition, too, because what you mm-hmm. saw from Nebraska this past year, too, was a very cohesive, tight group of 14 players. And you're introducing a very different personality. Yeah. Um, who wants attacks, who wants playing time, who comes in with these high expectations too. And I don't know if it's breaking promises to, like you said, Lindsay Krause's a local girl. Allie Batenhorst has, I mean, not grew up in Houston, but her parents' families are all from, I mean, she has more relatives in Nebraska than most other players mm-hmm. uh, that are natives almost. Uh, so it, it's, it changes the, the dynamics of the team a lot too. And yeah. the team chemistry is a big question mark that also results in this mm-hmm. move. Right. Let, let's talk about that a little bit more from beyond just an X's and O's perspective, because these are people that you're talking about. And anytime you kind of, you know, an upperclassman understands that you're recruiting high school juniors, high school seniors to come in and continue the success after they leave. It is a different message to send to its mm. team when, um, you're, you're bringing in someone where there's not an obvious vacancy that they're trying or, to fill or need. Um, yeah. It, right. Players can interpret that as what you think. I'm not good enough. Why are you going out and you're recruiting over me? Not from someone who's going to be here four years from now, but someone who's going to be here and compete with me, me next year. And I know that, you know, the, the common refrain I've read to this online is like, well, bring all the talent in the room and let the cream rise. And that's great in theory, but like, this isn't like replacing a carburetor on your car. This <laughs> is, you know, human relationships that you are talking about. And so, as we said, here's who's on the roster for next year. Harper Murray, Lindsey Krause, Allie Batenhorst, and incoming freshman Skylar Pierce. We're going to be the four outside hitters. And now you're bringing in another player that I, you know, nothing has been promised, but like she's not transferring in to sit the bench, right? Yeah. We run into this in football and basketball, too. If you're a high-profile transfer, you 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 come in with the expectation that you're going to play. And so that's five outside hitters for two positions. And you probably have one or two of those as a, as a backup. But, you know, we've mentioned it a couple times. That's not going to be the final roster in 2024. Somebody, whether it's been announced or speculated on or communicated to the coaching staff or not, somebody is going to leave from that room probably at the end of the spring semester in May. And so, you know, what you do this with an acknowledged risk to, you know, what was one of the strong parts of the, um, of Nebraska last year, which was what seemed to be a really good chemistry. And I want to be super, super clear when we're speculating about chemistry, this is not to say that like, 
um, Taylor Landfair is a problem in any way, right? No. Like you vet these players probably through um, their former teammates. Yeah. I guarantee you that there have been players on Nebraska's team that have played with Landfair in like a Team USA setting. I'm just saying that any in any setting, a group, a, a coworker office, like you bring in a new person that just hasn't been around people um, that haven't gone through the the hardships, the wars, the practices. Um, it's just it can change the vibe. And yeah. we know from the young people that the vibes have to be on, the vibes can't be off. And so it's just another potential risk. Yeah. I, I will say, we you mentioned that, I mean, she knows Lexi Rodriguez quite well too. They grew up fairly close and uh, the outskirts of They're both Chicago. Illinois kids. Yeah. They, they played together one year in the same club. Uh, they're a year apart. Taylor Landfair is actually a year older, but will have played in Nebraska, could play in Nebraska a year longer than Lexi. Um, thanks to the quirks and calendars, like we talked about, but mm-hmm. so they, they're, they know each other too. And I'm sure John Cook talked to Lexi and um, their parents, Lexi's and uh, Taylor's parents are friends and know each other still interact a lot. And just in the volleyball community is a very small world. So there, there is, I mean, I'm sure the coaches went to Lexi and talked to this and they know Laney Choboy knows her a little mm-hmm. bit because she's also a former uh, Minnesota commit too. So um, mm-hmm. they know each other and Merritt Beeson worked with her a and little bit in the USA program too. And they played and, across from her too. And this is also like, this is yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's not like someone from the Pac-12 or the SEC who you might not have seen very much. Nebraska's played against Taylor Landfair for three years now. They know how to defend her. They know her strengths, her weaknesses. They know that she can go off and get you 28 kills in a match. And they know that she can struggle and, and hit like 135. And so, you know, they are, they're very familiar with this player. I think if you are going to make an addition like this to your team, then you also can't have it both ways and get upset when when people leave and yeah. and that's what i expect to happen and i think if you're going to play the transfer portal game and bring players in without there being an obvious vacancy that they're filling you just have to accept that players off your current roster leaving is the cost of doing business if you're going to do business that way yeah and the other part about this equation too is adding her to nebraska's roster keeps her from wisconsin's roster because that was the other finalist she was considering was the uh, badgers and mm-hmm. to me Wisconsin had a more natural uh, hole for her to fill in the lineup too with Temi Thomas Alara out of eligibility Mm -hmm. that that uh, L2 spot was open and available, but she connected better with Nebraska. She actually um, Taylor Lanford hasn't been to campus since the season ended. She, her final, Mm -hmm. when she was a prep player, her final three were Minnesota, Nebraska and Wisconsin. So she was very thorough, um, uh, very thorough in that process. Went to mm-hmm. each campus five times, talked to the coaches. So, um, and all the, the coaching staff changed a little bit, but the head coaches are still in place. The programs are pretty much the same from when she went through recruiting the first mm-hmm. time. So, in my impression to her, she is very analytical. She's very thoughtful. I mean, she even put a three page mm-hmm. letter on her Instagram stories explaining why she was leaving Minnesota, which I don't see that often from transfers too, mm-hmm. but she felt she had thought about it, wanted to verbalize it and kind of set her story straight on why she was leaving Minnesota. So she's very thoughtful, very intentional. This was mm-hmm. not a move that was made on a whim and uh, choosing yeah. Nebraska is also not something that, Oh yeah, Nebraska, I know Nebraska. And um, even she, she analyzed the roster and figured out how she can fit. And she talked mm-hmm. about how she was excited to get in and develop relationships with the players when she gets here in May. Yeah, and she's a player that's been through some adversity as well. You mentioned that abdominal injury, which kept her out for, you know, the the better part of a season a few years ago. So she knows what it's like to to come back from 
from some adversity. I've been trying to think like, what's the best case scenario for as far as numbers go for for Taylor Landfair? If you're Nebraska, I think from an L2 position or just a second outside hitter position, I don't know which one she ends up playing. Um, you, you're probably looking for at least 250 as far as a hitting percentage. If she can get you between three and three and a half kills a set, I think that's um, that's probably what you're looking for. So that, you know, they're going to have a pretty balanced offense, I would imagine, again, with what Bergen Riley's able to do and having Harper Murray and Lindsey Krause at those other outside positions and Merritt Beeson on the right. Like, that's a pretty formidable group of pin hitters. And I think, you know, just from an X's and O's perspective, Nebraska has to probably feel pretty good about itself going into 2024 with that cast of characters. Yes. Yeah. You want to look into uh, the rest of the, the national picture in rotation yes. three? We'll, uh, well, rotation three, we'll look at the national transfer portal. Uh, the season ended with Nebraska and Texas fighting out for the national tra- championship. It seems like those two teams have also been fighting it out uh, and winning a lot of battles in the transfer portal. Uh, I think Texas has kind of, we talked a little bit about Taylor Landfair is probably the biggest addition, possibly the other big headliner, uh, Reagan Rutherford, who was a star at Kentucky playing opposite there. She will be joining the Texas Longhorns for her final season of eligibility. She won a national title at Kentucky uh, early on in her career, played four years there too, and now is going to join her former teammate, Madison Skinner, who was on that title team with her, um, to really solidify what Texas had. I mean, uh, they lost um, Molly Phillips, kind of was done with her career. Mm -hmm. She's going to go to USC, play some beach to wrap up her volleyball career. So they had an opening at opposite as well too. And plus, I think it's even though it's not directly off Nebraska's team, Texas also added Whitney Lonstein at opposite. There's a lot of question marks with her. She set out a year, had a child, hasn't played a lot. So um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how those two balance off each other. Whitney has a couple of years left while Reagan just has one more, uh, one more season left of eligibility, but that's not the only stud that they added from the portal too. Um, they added Baylor setter Avery Carlson as well too. Uh, she was a starting setter for Baylor. She was the Big Ten newcomer of the year last year. Uh, the, Big 12. The 20, yeah, the Big 12, sorry. Big 12 as a 22 as a freshman. So uh, I really want, I mean, that's a very interesting. And Texas started addition. a true freshman setter who just yeah. won them in a national championship this year in Ellis Swindle. So are you bringing in Carlson to compete with Swindle? Are you looking to run a 6-2 or are you just trying to build depth? And and yeah. I don't know that the Big 12 freshman of the year is is going down the road to Austin just to happily play a reserve role. Uh, so I thought that was actually the most interesting move that that Texas made, because like you can mess around with your pin hitters, I guess, and and mess with their confidence um, messing with a setter. And and the message that oh, yeah. that could send Ellis Wendell, if bringing in another stud setter to compete with her, that's a whole different ball of wax. I mean, Texas has enough weapons then, I mean, where they could they could uh, mm-hmm. add like a six two like Wisconsin did, but Wisconsin was just overwhelmed with uh, outside hitters and attackers too. So uh, they they could use two opposites too. So Lonstein and Rail uh, mm-hmm. Rutherford both could play in that six two system. Yeah, if the six two is what you run, if you're if you don't think you have a great setter, or it's the system you run. If you're trying to get everyone playing time, and all the parents on your high school team are complaining that you're not playing their <laughs> daughter enough, so. It'll be interesting to see what what Texas does. You know, they 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 kind of have carte blanche to do whatever they want. Like people have been throwing a bunch of shade at Texas lately for how they're acquiring players, and they've won the last two national championships. So really, how how much criticism should they face? Yeah. But 
But that, that was kind of the big haul of the transfer portal. portal. There some other interesting uh, movement that went on. Washington State's just falling apart and and leaking players after their after their head coach um, announced she was leaving to go to West Virginia. So they had a really good setter last year. Argentina Ung, I think is how you pronounce her last name. U N G. She's gonna stay in. Well, she's gonna move oh, to the Big oh. Twelve. I was gonna say she's <laughs> staying in the Pac twelve. She's gonna play at Arizona State, which had a really good season last year, and that's a nice addition for them. Uh, then you start getting into, I think, some lower profile names. Um, Wisconsin had an outside hitter who was a backup last year named Ella Robel, who's going to go to Ohio State and stay in the conference. Yeah. Michigan State actually picked up a number of um, players. The the big one that that I see is uh, Oklahoma's outside hitter, Taylor Preston, who was either led Oklahoma in kills last year or was second. And she joins a fun group that is growing with them. Um, they had one of the best freshmen in the Big Ten last year. Michigan State did with um, Taylor Holdem as an outside hitter. And then Florida just continues to accumulate talent. Um, they got UNLV's outside hitter, Isabel Martin, who was the two-time Mountain West player of the year. And so Florida is going to have kind of an embarrassment of riches on the pins next year. Um, for their sake, you hope that their their setter returns fully healthy and people can really see the the full potential of the Gators. Yeah. Out of those kind of ones that you ran through, the two that stand out were the first two. I mean, Argentina, Ong, who is replacing another set. They lost their starting setter was a fifth year this past year. So opportunity there too. And Ella Robles is really interesting too, because uh, I equate her to kind of like Hayden Kubik a little bit too, came in very highly touted, but just was stuck behind some other high profile hitters. So mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see what she can do at Ohio state too. But there's a lot, I mean, I think that we, we talked about the portal closing on January 1st, too, but there's no deadline for for players to commit to a school. Kind of they're on their own schedule, whether uh, the start of classes or if they were going to stay through the spring semester, too. I think a lot of them want to get there. This, But there's a lot of other movement. Like Texas Tech lost nine players. I don't know what's going on down in Lubbock, but they lost nine players. LSU lost I think there's a... Texas Tech's kind of a mess and, and has been for a while. And I had someone actually reach out to me um, on social media privately that that had some experience with the coaching staff down at Texas Tech, maybe mm. at, a, at a different um, stop along the career and just said, yeah, that doesn't surprise me that they're losing so many players. So Texas Tech's going to have a, a huge roster turnover next year. Uh, you mentioned LSU, oh. which also has, you know, I think lost some players in recent years going all the way back to Brianna Holman um, when she was an All-American and left to, to come to Nebraska. They lost six players, you said. And then we've got a list here. Go ahead with um, some other players who we are, are really solid, maybe not All-American level, and they're still looking for homes. Yeah, there's still a lot of people, too. I mean, uh, you go back to Indiana, uh, Savannah Kohed, is that how you pronounce her name? I don't know. I, I, Savannah, for, like who is a middle name. Yeah, Savannah, Savannah K from Indiana, a middle middle blocker from Indiana. She is kind of one of the bigger middle blockers that's left in the portal. Um, I, I I mean, there's a lot of scuttlebutt rumors, whatever. She seems to be destined mm -hmm. for Kentucky. Uh, we mentioned mentioned Jordan Hop, who is a middle block from Iowa State too, and then also leaving Kentucky is Elise Goetzinger, um, another player who's looking to go somewhere else for their fifth year as well too. So. Middle blocker seems to be Getzinger's really a middle loaded. blocker. Yeah. Yeah. At least Getzinger, what I thought was a really impressive player in the last couple of years. We've seen Kentucky. She had some solid matches against Nebraska, and she's going to be a really good addition to somebody who needs depth in the middle. In fact, I don't know if Nebraska has reached out to her as they're looking to build middle depth. Um, Getzinger, I think, is originally from Wisconsin. 
And so when you look at where these players ultimately end up, many of them end up um, at a school in their home state or much closer to their home state. Some of the players that Texas added were originally from Texas. So it wouldn't shock me if Getzinger, you know, found her way to Madison. I don't really know if they have a need there, but, you know, Kelly Sheffield seemed like he his door is open to, to have conversations with people who are looking to move. Um, we've got Mackenzie Morris, who's a libero from Kansas State, is going to be a nice addition for somebody. Uh, the Rutgers libero, Madison Chitty, is leaving. Um, and then uh, Oregon State's outside hitter, uh, Michael or Mikhail Vernon, uh, yeah. is going to be on the move, too. And I think, you know, just like Washington State with Oregon State, not necessarily having the best home in the conference realignment when that, you know, musical chairs game stopped. Yeah. Um, it doesn't surprise me at all that you're going to have players from those two programs maybe moving on. Yeah. You draw from the Pac 12. They're competing in the West Coast Conference, I believe, this next, at least mm-hmm. the next two years till they figure out and eventually just merge with the Mountain West, which is what they should do. Uh, but that's a, uh, that's a step <laughs> down. So it, it's really surprising. I think that there's a lot of middle blockers. I was trying to look through and like, there's not a lot of outside hitters. I think, I mean, a lot of them have already entered and come off the board a bit. Um, but I, I mean, there's an, I, I compared to past years, there's not a lot of high profile names too. I mean, people always pop up um, down the road too, but it just surprise you when they change levels to go from mm-hmm. a mid major to a major. Um, there's yeah. a lot of movement that happens too, but those are some of the ones that caught kind of my eye looking over at the yeah. list. Uh, College VB Transfers has a great uh, spreadsheet that uh, if you really want to dive into this, um, you can. They cover everything. So uh, that's kind of all all levels of the sport, too. If you want to know who's transferring from like Murray State to Canisius, like they will have that. They will have that info for you. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, And and also we're going to have round two of the transfer portal in May. So we're not done with this conversation yet. I think it's going to it's going to come back and we're going to have more people end up leaving and graduating when the semester ends in May. So get ready for round two of this as well. Uh, But this kind of leads to a bigger picture kind of conversation too. We mentioned this a little bit earlier. Uh, And just kind of people have been in my mentions. They've been over all over John Cook about uh, transferring all over message boards, all over everywhere. Yeah. So there's, we, we, and we talked about this with Jalen too, when we had him on in the fall too, about, Acquiring talent for transferring versus prep recruiting, um, h- how you go about it. And I, and I don't think there's a wrong, right way. People like mm-hmm. to say, oh, we, we recruit the right way. We get them in their high schoolers and build them up and develop right. them where these tran- people are getting all-star teams by just trans- getting transfers together mm-hmm. and assembling them at a much later date. So uh, I, I know, I know you have some very strong thoughts about this. Yeah. Jeff. So I'll, I'll let you kind of got a cook and uh re- Go go yeah. go to town. On well, this. and I want you, I want you I want you to jump in on this too because yes. like I don't just want this to be clear out for Jeff time, <laughs> but you know you and I have both seen that fans are always going to side with their program, right? Yes. They're always going to assume that what their team their team is the good guys and are doing it the right way, and the other team, the hated rival, is the bad guy. This is just a very common thing in sports, and so there has become this perception that there is some mythical number of transfers that is just enough versus too many. And nobody has ever been able to really define that for me. Like if your team has two starters on the floor next year, two of the six who are transfers, that's supplementing versus the transfer. And that's fine. But if the other Mm -hmm. team has three players in their starting lineup who are transfers, well, then the whole dang team is transfers. And so 
that one player difference uh, apparently is is you know the straw that breaks the camel yeah. back like you said Jalen and I was I was interested to hear what his perception was because he's kind of the the recruiting guru on Nebraska's team you know is there a perception in the coaching community over what is the right number of transfers versus what is too many transfers and Jalen said you know it's all just talent acquisition right mm-hmm. there is there are, there is less risk of the type of player you were recruiting when you you bring in a transfer because most of the the system that coaches have set up and incentivized is that they get commitments from kids who are and I'm going to call them kids because they're 15 or 16 years old when you ask them to commit to a college it's, they're just going into their junior year of high school and as we've seen in recruiting rankings, that's an inexact science. Trying to project what a 16-year-old is going to be like when they're 19 or 20 and you need them on your court in college is, is risky. Some players exceed their expectations. Some fall drastically below their expectations. And some meet their expectations just fine. So that's what you get when you recruit high school players. When you recruit transfers, it's a little bit more of a known commodity. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're cl- you're getting a player that's closer to the finished product. And so there's less risk from that perspective. Now, there's a whole bunch of other risks that come in when you are recruiting transfers. And, you know, that's sort of part and parcel with the game you're playing. Right. You could upset your locker room. You could have some of your younger players leave because they don't like being recruited over. Or, you know, you end up taking a bunch of pot shots from fans on Twitter that think, you know, what you're doing is shady. Yeah. So what I think is what on on one hand, coaches don't need to apologize to anyone about how they get talent on their roster as long as they're doing it within the rules. Right. And we can talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Transfers, high school recruiting, you know, whatever. Coaches don't owe anyone an apology for accumulating talent by all available means. But then players don't owe anyone an apology for looking out for their own best interest and saying, do I have a better situation if I were to leave school X and go to school Y? And what's important to understand is not everyone's motivations in this math equation are the same. I think coaches are aligned with fans and programs, right? They want to win. They want to win matches. They want to win championships. And so they want as much talent on the team as possible, right? It's just win, baby. But players, they do want to win. And that's important to them. But also they have personal motivations too. They want playing time. They might have financial incentives. They want to get paid and they can do that now. And so it's not right, in my opinion, it's disingenuous to say one of those motivations is morally superior to the other. You know, you can't say that coaches and fans who want to win a national championship and therefore behave in this way is is right when it compared to a player who might have some more personal motivations. So yeah. I'm going to stop right yeah. there and, and want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of this stems from, I mean, you look at the power three of the more prominent programs uh, the, over the last few years, too. I mean, we, we can expand that a little bit more, but like coming from a Nebraska centric podcast, too. I mean, you look at what Nebraska is doing versus what Wisconsin's doing versus what Texas is doing. Um, and you see two different models, too. And I think Texas and Wisconsin have really embraced the transfers as um, is available to them, too. And I think all this has been exasperated by the COVID year, too, which may add that extra year mm-hmm. to that. People get diplomas. They want to go play elsewhere. They're more and and the addition of the transfer portal, which makes it easier to do this too. But John Cook has lived by the transfer, not lived by it, but he's utilized transfers for twenty years. Uh, Maggie Griffin came mm-hmm. as a transfer setter back in two thousand four, and really, there's been a transfer on Nebraska's roster every single year since then. Uh, no more. Mm-hmm. Than, you, you, you mentioned that line of having two. 
Uh, I did point out that Nebraska's never had more than two transfers on his roster at any point during that time. Mm-hmm. That may change this year, but he's definitely mm-hmm. utilized it too to fill in gaps when players leave. And he, uh, and you look at a lot of those those early ones were all setters too, which I don't know what's going on with their setter mm-hmm. recruitment in the early to aughts to late aughts. But yeah, yeah so that, 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 well, that let's, is let's option. just. Let's just spell out the conflict a little bit more clearly. Um, John Cook took some heat from opposing fans, especially Texas fans, who got in our mentions after he made comments during the Final Four that could have been interpreted to mean, I like building my roster through high school recruiting and not re- overly relying on the transfer portal. And other schools, in like namely Texas and Wisconsin, oh, yeah. have a lot of transfers on their team, and we just prefer our way better. And then... You know, you when you say things like that, you run the risk of being considered a hypocrite when you turn around and you bring in the highest profile transfer in the transfer portal. What I think is, what is the line exactly between we supplement with the portal and we build with the portal? Because where you stand on that depends on like where you sit. I don't know that I think that line's a lot grayer than some fans think it is. And I I'm just bored by the whole discussion because is the magic number three. You can't have more than three transfers on your team. Like we're not that far removed from the argument being in college football. Like, well, of course, Bill Snyder wins. He takes all those Juco mercenaries. Like, well, Bill Snyder found a competitive advantage and took 10 to 15 Juco players a year at Kansas state and beat everyone's butt with them for like 15 years and almost went to the national title game. And we're not all that far removed. And I realize this is not an apples to apples comparison, but it's sort of similar. You know, we're 50 years removed in this country from coaches getting side eyed by, you know, how many black players do you have on your team? How many black starters are you putting out there on your basketball team or your football team? And that was a real debate that people oh, yeah. were having over what was right and what was wrong. So get the <laughs> best players you can and winning kind of shuts everyone else up. I've heard the argument that, well, what Texas is doing with, you know, having four or five transfers on their team is not sustainable. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Not sustainable. They just won the last two national championships. What measure of sustainable success are you talking about? Yeah. Like, la la la, I can't hear you. I've got a national championship trophy in each ear. I'm sorry. I, I've just been deafened by my own success. As as And I keep saying this on as long as you're doing it within the rules, within the framework that the NCAA has set up, yes. then like, who cares what anyone else thinks? But I think this segues nicely into the other part of this discussion, which is are schools behaving within the rules? And if not, how do you police that? And this goes back to a thread that uh, Kirsten Bernthal Booth, who is the president of the ABCA, which is the American Volleyball Coaches Association. Um, she went on social media, had a thread. She said it was her first ever thread and really kind of decrying hampering in volleyball. She said that uh, while she was at the ABCA convention, this was a major topic uh, between the coaches that uh, college volleyball is apparently one of the worst ones at tampering. And what do we mean by tampering? We mean that uh, Mm -hmm. they're using back channels, going through club coaches or going using players to talk to other players saying, Hey, we have a need for an outside hitter. If you don't like what you're doing at your current school, if you enter the portal, we talk to you. So it's kind of that it's implying, but it's also doing it where there's not much of a paper trail of, there's a paper trail when you enter right. the portal, you're emailing them, you're talking to them in a very public way, too. But this way is in the shadows, uh, a lot of hearsay, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of figuring out ways to gauge interest or say, if you're mm-hmm. thinking about not happy with where you are, 
grass might be a little bit greener over here. Yeah. And I can understand. So like, first of all, Kirsten Berthold Booth is because she's going to be the president of the, or now is the president of the ABCA board. She's very, very well respected in the coaching community. Obviously her on-court success speaks for itself. She was on our show, uh, you know, not long ago. It was in the, after very the first well weekend of the NCAA tournament. So, you know, we have a lot of respect for, for yeah. Kirsten and, and what she means within the coaching community. Tampering is super, super tricky because one, it's really hard to prove. If, mm-hmm. if you're a coach who is smart and doesn't use traceable means of communication, um, it's, it's really hard to nail someone to the wall about that. And of course, another, and I, I understand why she wants to speak up about this, not only from her position as a leader within the coaching community, but I, you can't tell me that over the years, big time, and when I say big time, I mean like power five programs who are at the highest levels of the sport haven't come after Creighton players because that's been a really, really successful program. If we found out three or five years from now that people were talking to the examples I use were Jayla Zimmerman, a really good outside hitter they had, or Nora Sis, a really good outside hitter they currently do have, and tried to get them to leave to go to a different school with promises of on-court success and maybe financial incentives, it wouldn't shock me at all. And so I could totally understand why Kirsten Bernthal Booth would would want to speak up on this issue. Kentucky coach Craig Skinner, who certainly had a number of high profile players of his own leave in the last couple of years, with the obvious examples being Maddie Skinner going to Texas, Reagan Rutherford going to Texas. He's now going to lose Elise Getzinger, it looks like. Um, he jumped in and said, yeah, absolutely. So here's my thing on tampering. It's really, really hard to prove. And it's very hard to legislate your way out of this, especially with a governing body like the NCAA that really doesn't seem that interested in passing regulations, certainly when it comes to player movement, because courts have stepped in and said, eh, you're, you're hampering opportunity and you can't you can't do that. So what Kirsten, in my opinion, was trying to do by calling out the issue publicly is to police this through through upholding the honor code, right? Through unwritten rules and and shaming wrongdoers into doing what's right. But I got frustrated that coaches who do this don't actually take it a step further because what they're doing is a pretty ineffective, in my opinion, kind of form of, of critique. Coaches got to start naming names. Mm-hmm. If they want to stop this behavior and you want to create a culture of shame around what you think other coaches are doing when it comes to poaching and tampering your players, you want to disrupt this system you need named bad guys. You need names and faces, and you have to make them pariahs within the coaching community if the NCAA isn't going to step up and change a law or change a regulation, which I don't think they're going to. No. But coaches never do this. This is Nebraska nice. This is Midwestern nice. Cool. They're afraid of someone else airing their own dirty laundry. And if they point a finger at someone else, you know, the old saying is you get three fingers pointed back at you. Or they're be, they're afraid of being sued for defamation by by putting names and faces out there. Did you want to jump in at this point, Lincoln? No, I think yeah, that's the hard part too. Is, I mean, also speaking as the uh, coaches' association as well too. It's like uh, it, it, I mean, she's representing all coaches too, and to call out one of their own. I mean, that's a way to get blacklisted and kind of uh, cast aside or really put to an end. Mm-hmm. It, it, your coaching career gets put to an end very quickly if you're naming that. And again, we, like we said, you said, these are very hard allegations to prove. And I think when you do mm-hmm. this right after, it's like, oh, player X, you talked to them before. It kind of puts a mark on that player and puts them in a bad situation that's usually not any of any causing of their own as well. Mm-hmm. But as long as the rules around free transfers and NIL compensation are what they are, you're going to have tampering because there's Mm -hmm. a financial incentive to do it and there's a winning incentive to do it. So in professional sports, 
or just in the general professional world, the, the non-athletic world, another employer can approach you. They can come to you, Lincoln, and say, hey, you're really good at your job. Thanks. Um, we'd like to pay you more money and come do that job for us. We think you'd be a great fit here. And what do we call that? We call that professional advancement. We call that the career ladder in the mm -hmm. non-college space. But schools and coaches kind of want to have their cake and eat it, too. They don't want players to be classified as employees. And that's very scary to a lot of schools because that entitles players to a whole bunch of employment protections that schools don't want to give them. It would nip this whole tampering thing in the bud because it would allow schools to sign players to contracts, just like in professional sports, non-compete clauses where there's actual penalties to school, other schools who try to tamper with your players. Uh, and then these players couldn't transfer. They would they would be signed to a contract to their school for you know multiple year period. But it would also open up a Pandora's box in the school's opinion of allowing them to do things like unionize oh, yeah. and collectively bargain for the bazillions <laughs> of dollars that schools earn through media rights and ticket sales and all of the things that allow you to have like three football coaches on staff at the same time that you're paying, even though you fired them. So that's why the monies that the money that players make via NIL is not supposed to be considered pay for play because then it becomes an employment contract. And schools would like to tell you that it's just a happy coincidence that players are able to make this money playing for one school, but not another. Coaches at programs with strong NIL collectives love the competitive advantage that they get by players getting the financial incentive for playing for their school. And any other walk of life, we would just call that a job. And you could change it if you wanted to, but the, the deal would be really clear. But schools will do everything they can to breathlessly tell you that their players are not working a job and earning a salary, wink, wink, giant air quotes. But I think that's the way that you have to fix tampering. I don't think an unwritten honor code is the way that you're going to do it. But there's a ton of other structural changes that you have to look at first. And maybe, Lincoln, I want to you know kick this over to you. Because yeah. we're really lucky that Lincoln used to work in the compliance space um, and, and we get to hear kind of your opinion on this. And, you know, is 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 creating a formal employment structure the way that you fix this? I, I think, yes. I mean, the, there's several big factors on it. I mean, one is it's the pursuit of success, the pursuit of winning championships. And, and now that now that uh, the portal and NIL has been introduced, there's also that money factor, too, which you talked a lot about, too. I mean. Uh, these are players who are part of a big industrial complex of college sports and kind of there's a lot of cash and a lot of money in that. And college student athletes for the first time are starting to see some of uh, some of those benefits. And, but it's all coming through these third party collectives, which I don't think is the right answer to getting them money. I think the best way to eliminate some of the shadiness, eliminate some of the backroom discussions, too, because coaches aren't allowed to communicate with NILs. Uh, and kind of set up arrangements. It's like, hey, you want to talk about marketing? Yeah, go talk they to those totally guys. don't yeah. ever yeah. talk to their collective people. That never happens. Never. Um, it's kind of like super PACs and politicians. There's no arrangement going on between those two. I mean, that's essentially what NIL. I don't know are. how this phone number got on speed dial in my phone. I don't <laughs> know why I've called this guy 15 times in the last two days. Yeah. I thought it was the pizza guy. Oh, shoot. This pizza box full of money, too. But I think what you can do is mm -hmm. if you bring that in house, it does get in between them more like employees, but it also removes the mystery of what they're getting paid. Like you, you kind of threw out those numbers of, I don't know, 50 to a hundred thousand dollars. Is that market value? I have no idea because the collectives are third party. They are not 
uh, they are not required to submit any contracts or report any payments or donations that they're getting to the public as a whole. I mean, uh, I'm working on a project where I'm requesting coaches contracts for all these public universities too. Those are open record. But what I mean, it's not is the transparency. I think that helps eliminate some of the shadiness too of uh, offering players more money to to trade schools to um, figure out what that. So I think that that's part of the equation that muddles a lot of this. Um, and it, 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 I think it's a side product because tampering. And I mean, all this stuff has gone on behind the scenes too. I mean, there's now a rule in place where you can't talk to prospects until June 15th of their after their sophomore year. But players know who are those 14, 15-year-olds. Mm-hmm. They know what schools are interested in them because they're talking to club coaches, but that's not supposed mm-hmm. to happen, but it's still going on. It gets them to camps. Right. It gets them on the you- radar. So it's still happening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You, you have to not be paying attention if you don't realize that schools can make offers like what, at 12.01 a.m. on June 15th and a player commits like within the hour. That that doesn't happen without any kind of prior communication at a camp or an, un- an unofficial visit or burner cell phones. I don't know. I'm just making that up. But like players commit as soon as they're offered in volleyball. And that doesn't just happen because this is my dream school and I've always wanted to come here. That happens because you've interacted with coaches in the past. So I really do think that you, the NIL situation, the collective situation anyway, is going to be very different in five years. I think Nebraska is already making preparations to to be in a post-collective NIL world with, with how they're sort of organizing the athletic department. And that's not a secret. Um, and so maybe this whole thing looks different. And we just have this yeah. five-year period of the wild, wild west of, um, you know, collectives being out there and, and offering some financial incentives that, that other schools aren't able to do. But also, you know, in, in, any other, in any other walk of life, you know, people, the salaries aren't publicly viewable. It's just, hey, I like this job better. They may be offering me more money or maybe I just like the work situation better. I don't like my boss. I don't like my coach. And so I'm going to go change jobs. I don't know that transparency is is the way that you solve this problem. No. I think like, hey, this is America and everyone loves markets. So like it's a free market based thing and go acquire your players however you want. Yeah. Um, just understand what that means is you're going to have more player movement than you than you had previously. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of the loyalty in there, too, of figuring out. Yes, you've been with this player for four or five, six years, too. I think it's what people crave and why college basketball has suffered a bit, too, because you get a lot of those one-year mercenaries who come in, play their freshman year, and then go off to the NBA, where um, in other sports, 
college volleyball sometimes you know a player for it could be up six seven years because if they're committing after their sophomore year mm-hmm. of high school and it used to be eight years too i mean you committed during, before your freshman year so uh i think there's that familiarity that people like to follow the progress of the players yeah. as they progress but again it, it goes back to their i mean we've kind of drifted away a little bit but as the coaches um, I, it's hard to police them if they are, if they're intent on breaking the rules, there's always a way. I mean, there's only so much mm-hmm. phone monitoring you can do. Uh, there's only so much kind of email uh, tracking or kind of. And there's no cops anymore. No. Like there's no cops. It's like, yeah, the, everyone's on a stretch of highway because there's no, well, it's not the compliance okay. officers that I'm talking about. <laughs> It's it's the NCAA, right? Yeah. When the NCAA moved to Indianapolis away from Kansas City, all of their enforcement officials like basically said, peace, I'm not moving to Indianapolis. And they've kind of abdicated their responsibility there. Plus, you've had courts step in and say, sorry, NCAA, you don't actually get to make the rules on something like this. Yeah. And so they've just kind of thrown up their hands and say, hey, all right, fine. All we're going to do is organize a couple basketball tournaments and um, negotiate the media rights for that. And that's really what the NCAA does anymore, because they sure don't have anything to do with college football at the Division One, the FBS level. And they've kind of thrown up their hands on issues like this, too. But like we could have spent a whole hour talking about this and and we're already at an hour mark, so we can move on. Um, But, yeah, this is something that I think fans and individual players and coaches all kind of feel different about and everyone gets to feel their own way and i don't think anybody's right and anybody's wrong yeah and that's the thing too is that uh it's easy to paint people as bad bad guys or bad women and uh and kind of take your side and like we're better than you like well it's all like again it goes back to that point this is all talent acquisition you're trying to get the most the best team possible but again, to go back to our point where we talked about Taylor Landfair, these are players too that have lives and have interests too. So hopefully you can find some happy ground of of looking at what's best for the players and what's best for the program too. And there's no right answer to, like you said, the number of transfers on a roster too. You're just cheering for your team and everyone else is the bad guys. So let's move on to rotation um, let's move to ro- five. Um, Lincoln, you were up at the Omaha Supernovas Media Day the other day. Uh, the Pro Volleyball Federation that the Supernovas are part of are just weeks away from starting mm-hmm. their first season. January 24th is the Supernova's first match. They're going to play the first match in league history. It's going to be up at the CHI Health Center. They're going to play the Atlanta Vibe. Would you come away with your impressions of uh, talking with the Supernova's and the roster that they're putting together? They got a very talented roster, too. I mean, a lot of familiar names for people who have followed college volleyball over the last decade. Uh, some international superstars as well, too. It, it, it's exciting. I mean, um, but you, you look at who everyone else is, the, the, the other six teams besides the Supernovas have. I mean, uh, I think what's really going to be surprising to people is when these roster cuts start happening, like, oh, they got cut. They weren't good enough to make the final 14 roster. Like, that's going to be eye-opening. Um, we see some familiar names that pop up. But the Supernovas, I think, are really, they're really balanced. They got a lot of good players, um, All-Americans, some former Olympians. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do and uh, how all these pieces kind of come together. Uh, the headliner, I think, of, of course, is Gina Mancuso uh, Prosowski, uh, former Nebraska All-American, still really playing very high level volleyball at age 32. So I'm excited to see what she can do. Um, and she, I mean, for as good as she may be, she may be not even in the starting lineup, too. But they got a lot of quality, mm-hmm. quality players that I think are, make this an exciting team. Yeah, I think Gina is someone that, that the Omaha fans, Nebraska fans are definitely going to be drawn to. But like, there are some really good outside hitters, other outside hitters on this roster. Brooke Nunaviller and Lindsey Vanderweide, who both played at Oregon, are, are a little bit younger than than Gina is and are really good. Uh, Yosiana Presley 
a mm-hmm. former Baylor player who I believe was the national player of the year, what, four or five Correct. years ago? An explosive athlete, uh, just entering her prime as a professional athlete is really, really good. I bet she's going to start. And the player we talked about on this podcast um, a few weeks ago um, is Betty Dela Cruz, who for a long time has been one of the top outside hitters in the region. She plays for the the Dominican Republic national team. She's been involved in Athletes Unlimited. So she's just coming out of a professional season and will be going into another one with the Supernovas. That's your outside hitters um, that that I think are probably kind of top line there. Uh, at the opposite position, Nia Reed, a former Penn State player, is someone who jumps off the page to me. But, you know, Creighton fans are going to remember Jazz Schmidt. Um, she's on the roster right now. I don't know how many, you know, they got to get down to 14. So that means what? Yeah. Probably four outsides, two opposites, four middles. That gets you to 10, um, maybe two setters. And I don't know if they're allowed to carry two liberos. But some teams don't. They have a one libero, and maybe that gives you an extra middle or an extra setter. Um, the setters on this team, Sydney Hilly is probably the one I imagine is going to start. She's a former, you know, All American from Wisconsin. But Natalia Valentin Anderson, who um, is a, a setter for for Puerto Rico, she's in her I think early to mid thirties. She's probably going to make the yeah. team as well. Yeah, late 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 thirties, but uh, she's also a Omaha resident. She's she kind of when she stepped away, yeah, she her, lives in Omaha, so she's an Omaha native. Yeah, she met her husband. Um, she and her husband both went to Florida International and got married. And um, he, her husband is a financial advisor in Omaha, I believe. So that's where she makes her home. And then former uh, UNK star Maddie Squires, um, Rick Squires' daughter, I believe, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. head coach at UNK, is on the roster as of right now, is going to fight for a spot. Um, the liberos that the Supernovas have, Kendall White, uh, former Penn State All-American libero, who a lot of Nebraska fans will remember, um, seems to be the odds-on favorite there. But then Gabby Thompson, who played at Kentucky uh, and was a really good, I think, All-SEC libero there, is also on the Supernovas roster. The middles, Lincoln, I think, are where I'm I'm trying to figure out who the starting duo is going to be. Yeah. Tori Dixon is a player that played at Minnesota when I was covering Nebraska. So I got to see her one of the best slide hitters I've ever seen. She's been on the Olympic team, um, a, a team USA kind of stalwart for close to a decade. She's on the roster. And then yeah. Daniel Hart, yeah. who had a nice career at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you look at some of the potential backups, Kyle Swanson, who Wahoo native uh, played a lot of her college volleyball, at Illinois before finishing up at Auburn. Uh, Sophie Davis was one of the better players at James Madison. She kind of flew under the radar as one does at James Madison, I guess, at times. But uh, they were a tournament team, and she was the second leading attacker as a middle blocker. And then Emma Willis was kind of a late add from Denver, too. I mean, another big physical player in the middle, too. So um, the other cool part, too, is just kind of the local flavors, too. I mean, we talked about Gina Mancuso, uh, Natalia Valentina Anderson, an Omaha native. Uh, Jazz Smith played at Creighton. Uh, Kayla Swanson, uh, Nebraska native, Maddie Squires, Nebraska native. So there's a lot of local flavor to this team. We'll see how many of those make the final roster too, but it's kind of nice that they're giving them a shot and uh, getting them to experience. Cause uh, I talked to Maddie Squires too. I mean, she was a graduate assistant at UNK this past year. So she got to be at the stadium match and helping out starting her coaching career too. And they called her up uh, over Thanksgiving break and said, Hey, uh, would you be interested in joining us and kind of being a, a setter in our in our training camp and did well there and got invited to uh, this uh, official training camp um, before the season starts too. So it's kind of cool that uh, I mean Nebraska produces a lot of great talent uh, that a lot of us mm-hmm. get a chance to play this first season before the uh, 
Pro Volleyball Federation too. So the, the next couple of weeks, we'll kind of see the roster get trimmed down a little bit. They have to be 14 before their uh, September, or sorry, uh, before their starter uh, in January 24th um, in a couple of weeks as well too. So do we know anything about TV or streaming options for uh, this match, these matches? They did sign that deal with CBS Sports. Um, I don't know if any, uh, if the first match has been announced, whether or not, uh, whether or not it's going to be on the air, they, they, there's been no mm-hmm. streaming announcement outside of that first that first kind of CBS Sports announcement too. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, they will be get ready, to, get ready to subscribe to Paramount Plus. Where <laughs> let's you can hope find it's all that. of your. Let's hope it's that yeah. not 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 well, flow sports or something like that. Ugh. Exactly. Let's let's go real quick to rotation six. Lincoln, you were able to watch um, the Under Armour All-American game that was this past week. Nebraska outside hitter commit. Not she's a signee now. She's going to yeah. be a freshman in Lincoln this, um, this fall. Skylar Pierce from the Kansas City area was named MVP of this match. Tell us a little bit about what you saw from from the future Husker in this match. Yeah, she really played well. I mean, they they did a little bit. It's an all star game. So they rotated and players in there. Uh, she played front row in the first set, and then uh, she played all six rotations in the final three sets and didn't play in the second set as they were rotating people in and out. But I thought she looked very well. She matched up well with her peers. Uh, all-star games are very hard to gauge because they only had two practices, mm-hmm. I think, to get used to each other and kind of figure out an offense and figure out how everything fits together. But she looked good. I mean, uh, she had I, I had her down for 20 kills. Uh, There's no stats for this. The announcers never once referred to this. I don't even know if they track stats, but unofficially I had her for about 20 kills on like a 480, I think, hitting percentage. So wow. very terminal. Uh, what, and she killed from both front row, back row. Uh, more Some of her more impressive shots, I remember uh, she went line a couple times, which is on from the left pin is you, you like to have that variety of shots. And then also she mm-hmm. got a couple bad sets and was still able to terminate them, tip tipping off the block or she, uh, recycling. She hit too. one line shot. I, I didn't watch this whole match, but I think I, I saw the highlights of her. She hit she crushed a ball down the line. That was a better line swing than I saw like any Nebraska player take last yeah. season. And yeah. it's something I always kind of want to see a Nebraska outside be able to do is go line tool, show off of variety of shots and and she was really um she was really outstanding yeah. at that i think from a player comp perspective she reminds you a lot of of harper murray just in kind of her her build yeah um we'll see if she hits the the same type of shots but uh skylar pierce is a, a player that you're you're going to be really excited to watch in the gym this fall if you're a nebraska fan i don't know if she has the harper murray has the leaping ability i think but just as far as shot selection and kind of overall athleticism i think very similar i mean like you said they have very also look very same physically just their same build and um athleticism as well too um but in and i don't know if we mentioned this but skylar pierce was the mvp of the uh mm-hmm. of the game so great honor for her great way to close out her prep career um also i should mention uh nicklin hames was an assistant coach too she played in the game a number of years ago when she was uh, before she entered came to Nebraska back in 2018 uh, and she was an assistant coach for that. So I, like I said, I talked to her and I'll have a story about her experience and kind of what's next for her. now that she's done being a graduate mm-hmm. manager, she's got her, got her master's degree and on to coaching and other things too. So, mm-hmm. um, but here quickly, I'll just kind of throw out some other players that will probably pop up on our radar here over the next four years or so. A names look pretty good too. She had kind of a slow start at middle blocker, former Nebraska commit, now headed to Texas. But uh, she looked really good, had a lot of blocks uh, as the match wore on and also 
looked pretty good from the middle attack. And then to me, the two setters uh, really kind of got going too. I mean, there's always some shakiness with setters, with playing with hitters they don't know. The passing was mediocre at times. Mm-hmm. But Charlie Furbinger, from, uh, who's going to Wisconsin, she looked really good. She was on the same team as uh, Skylar Pierce and A. Names were all on the same team. She had one play in the fifth set where uh, it was kind of a, a free ball situation where it was, they'd set it up, and she came slicing down the middle and just looked like she was running a bick almost and just slammed the ball like an attacker. Mm-hmm. It looked, it's like, whoa, where did she come from? And, oh, yeah, she's the setter. So <laughs> rather than set it up, she terminated that second touch. And then the other setter, uh, Izzy Stark, who is a freshman coming in, likely to run Penn State's offense uh, coming in as a freshman, too. She had some really good moments, too. But um, And then there's a number of other, other hitters that uh, also look decent. But the, the mm-hmm. setter, that I thought, for the most part, ran a good offense. I think what Izzy Stark, the more, more impressive than offense, was her back row defense, too. I mean, um, they target her a lot when she was in the back left. And I thought she had some, some of the more impressive digs of the entire all-star game too. So uh, defense was, mm-hmm. I mean, she ran a good offense, but defense is where she really stood out too. So um, that was all American game too. It was great to have uh, Skylar Pierce uh, represent Nebraska and show kind of some. Um, so was, the future is always bright and she can, it's hard to translate mm-hmm. this, but I think she, she definitely should be able to add something to Nebraska's uh, lineup next year. All right. Well, Hey everyone, that's the show for this week. We'll probably be back. I would imagine um, right around the time of the the Pro Volleyball Federation opener, late January, um, we had to get in and, and talk about all the transfer portal stuff. Uh, keep an eye on us on social media where we'll try to break news and Lincoln will uh, break it down with all of his writings at Huskers Illustrated. You can find us on Twitter at Volleyball Pod. You can email the show and so many of you have asking about transfer portal stuff, culture things. Great questions. Keep them coming at volleyballstate at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon. Lincoln, where can we find you and the stuff that you're working on soon? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB. And I will say, Jeff, you did put out a promo of this. Uh, we're recording today that there's a uh, four thumbs and no hair in this. And somebody was disappointed it wasn't Kelly Sheffield and Jared Elliott that recorded this podcast. But oh, yeah, we're, we're very, very poor man versions of <laughs> Kelly Sheffield and Jared Elliott. By the Ooh. way, Lincoln and I and, and maybe you'll see this someday if we do video. Uh, Lincoln and I both have beards. And Kelly Sheffield and Jared Elliott, neither one of them have beards. They are just yeah. big baby thumb heads, just like us, <laughs> except we've got beards. So that's how you yep. can tell us apart. Yeah, we have beards. So, uh, again, you find us on social media. You can find me on threads at Lincoln A underscore VB, if that's your jam. Um, and also have uh, stories upcoming on Huskers Illustrated, where you can read all of my in-depth day-to-day coverage of the Nebraska Volleyball Program. But thanks to Podcast House Media, you can find our podcast archive and other great podcasts at podcasthousemedia.com that's all we got for today so thanks for listening and thanks for living in the volleyball state